Jesus has a heart for you. He came to rescue us from darkness, to bring hope to the hopeless, to reconcile marriages and families, to make the dirty clean, to heal the brokenhearted, and to give us new hearts. These are the things that make Jesus' heart beat faster. Good morning. Woohoo! Who's excited today? Are you excited? It's going to be a good day. It is going to be a good day. We get to dunk people today. There's a couple of people I might hold under a little longer. Make sure to get all of it off of them. You know what I'm saying? So it's going to be a good day. Get to baptize folks, man. Get to get into the Word. We've already worshiped the Lord. Um, And excited about all that God's doing and going to do. And praying today that God does something incredible in your heart. Today, um, man, if you're a first-time guest here... Super excited you're here. If you've been coming since we started, man, glad you're here. Praying the same thing, that God just does work today in our hearts and, and does uh, something in us that changes us forever and just truly leaves us different from now on um, because that's the great work of God and His power and His ability. Um, we're going to be wrapping up this series called Heartbeat this week. I've loved doing this series, man. It's been a lot of fun seen God do a lot of crazy cool things through it. Um, and next week we're starting a new series. It's called I Am Strong. And um, I'm more excited about I Am Strong than I was this one. Like, I'm super pumped. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 12 uh, where Paul talks about having a thorn in the flesh. And I really want us to look at how do we become strong in Christ? How do we become strong in God um, when we're weak? Because the reality of it is we're all weak. So I hope you'll be here next week as we dive into that and, and really kick off that series um, and be praying that God uh, does uh, some incredible things through that. You have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 3, and uh, you might want to go ahead and find Matthew 28 also. Um, we're going to flip, we're going to read both of those actually here in just a minute. Um, we've been looking at this series called Heartbeat and the things that made Jesus' heart beat faster. What was it that got Jesus excited? What is it today that as he sits at the right hand of God, what is it that, that today it, it gets him excited? Um, and I believe there are a lot of things. I believe seeing the lost come to know him, the lost being found. I believe that seeing people do life together. There's a lot of things that I think get Jesus excited and he's still, um, and he, he loves to see him take place in his church and as his church works um, outside the walls of the building. And so today we're going to look at the last one. And appropriately for today, we're going to look at um, baptism. And I think if you read the the New Testament, you read through the scriptures, you'll see how important baptism is. But today I want to try to answer the question of why is it important? Why does it matter? What's the, what's, what's the point? I mean, we go, we're going to splash in the burrow, we're getting in a pool, right? And we're going to dump people underneath some water and they're going to come up and we're going to clap and it's going to be awesome. But what's the point? Why does it really matter? So Matthew chapter three, um, we're going to begin in verse 13, read through 17, then we're going to flip over to Matthew 28. So Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Verse, uh, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray and ask God to use his word to impact our hearts. God, we thank you for life and love. We thank you for your grace and mercy, God. Today, we thank you for the power of your word. I pray, God, as we open it this morning, that it would truly be living and active as we know, God, it is, and that it would cut deep into the core of our being, into our very heart, Lord, and change us forever, that we, God, would see the hope that is in you and that we would glorify you and that we, God, would take great pleasure in being part of your kingdom. We love you and thank you for who you are, what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how many of you have children today? You got kids? You got kids? Ask that question a good bit because here's the reality. When I stand up here and preach, man, a lot of what I'm talking about is stuff that happened this week, right? And, and right now what's happening in my life is kids. And uh, three boys keep us going. Um, people are like, what you been up to? I'm like, kids in church, man. That's all I got time to do. And so, um, but, but I remember when Susan, we found out Susan was, was pregnant um, for the first time. And uh, I remember, you know, we went and saw the ultrasound seven weeks. We got to see the heartbeat, man. It was flying. It was like 147 miles an hour. And Dake's heartbeat has not slowed down since, I can promise you. Like he's wide open all the time. And so we saw the heartbeat and it was awesome. And, and so Susan was like, I don't want to find out what it is. Why? She's like, I don't want to find out. And I was like, well, I want to find out. She's like, I don't want to find out. I was like, I want to find out. I'm like, woman, I'm the head of the household. We're finding out. And she was, and she laughed and that was it. Um, and so we, we were just like, okay, we won't find out. And, 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 but just for safety, we told them to put the, the, the actual sex of the baby in an envelope and we would just have it in case, um, you know, we decided we wanted to look. So Susan was like, I got to hide this envelope. And I was like, why are you going to hide it? She's like, I know you'll look. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to look. And so she goes home, she hides it. And I made a deal with her. I said, Susan, how about this? If I find the envelope, I get to open it. And she was like, okay. Like, she was so confident in her hiding spot. Like he'll never find it. He'll never find it. And so I was like, all right. And this is no joke. I was like, okay, Lord, I really need this envelope because I can't go the next 33 weeks without knowing what this child's going to be. And so Lord, where is it? And no joke, st- sitting right in front of me was our China cabinet. And as soon as I looked at the China cabinet, I was like, it's on top of the China cabinet. I walked over there, put a chair up next to the China cabinet, reached my hand over, pulled up the envelope and looked at Susan and said, can I open it now? And she was like, no, I was like, what? I was like, woman, don't mess with me. I hear the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And so y'all don't mess with me either. Cause I'll tell some junk on you. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, I was like, the Lord, man, like he just almost like, he was like, you know, and, and like a ray of light was on the, the China cabinet. So I went and I got the envelope and, and I was like, can I open it? She was like, no, you can't open it. And I was like, why are you backing out of this deal? And so to honor my wife, where she, there she is. Um, I just, I, just, I just didn't open the envelope. And so it was pretty cool once we got to the actual birth of our first child. And we did that with the other two as well. And so we, it was kind of this build up. And finally, we're going to get to find out what it is. You know, is it a boy? Is it a girl? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? And I, I, I kind of knew it was a boy. Just I know things. And so we, we go into the hospital. And, and she has Dake, our first child. And I can tell you, like, one of the best moments of my life um, <laughs> It really wasn't like seeing him born because when he came out, I was like, we have had an alien. You know what I'm saying? And, and he just had the cone head thing going on and it was weird. And, uh, and, and I looked at the doctor and my first words were not like, oh, he's so precious. It was like, is he okay? Because it just, I thought he'd be cuter than that, you know? And, and he's a cute kid now, but I'm just telling you, your baby look like an alien too. They all do. And so 
he, uh, he comes out and, and, and the, one of my best moments, like I'll never forget with our children was being able to walk out, um, into the waiting room where all of our family was. And, you know, and they're all looking down the hallway and I'm like, I'm back here. You're not, you don't know what's going on. I do. And so I'm able to walk out there and say, it's a right. And then I would say their name, you know, it's Dave Jefferson. I know Jefferson's kind of strange, but it's a family name, um, you know, or it was uh, Jackson Bruce or it was Brandon Reed. And I can walk out and say, it's a boy and it's this, and I can make this declaration of this new life that's been born, right? I was the one who was able to walk out there and say, this is what just happened, you know, and we just had this boy and his name's Dake Jefferson. And it was an awesome time to be able to walk out and celebrate it, you know, and Susan's the one, she's back there doing all the work, but I get all the glory, right? I'm like, hey, hey, you better pat me on the back. And I'm like, I didn't really do anything, but hey, you know, that's all right. And so, but it was an opportunity for me to walk out and declare to people that like, man, there's something new that's been born and this is who it is. And I want to tell you today that that, It's the way it is with baptism. That that is baptism. That it's walking out and and it's going in front of people and it's a declaration that something new has been born. In fact, the first thing I'll tell you to write down because I know all five of you want to take notes today. That that the first thing that baptism is, is it is a declaration of new birth. It's a declaration of new birth. And here's the thing that that we have to see. It's a declaration of new birth, but it's not so much a declaration that we're um, claiming God, but that God's claimed us and given us a new birth, right? How arrogant for us to think that somehow we just allow God into our life. Like one day we're like, okay, God, now you can come into my life. He's God. If he wants to be in your life, he'll be in your life. The reality is that Jesus is Lord, whether we confess him to be Lord or not. I mean, he's just Lord, period. The question is, will we surrender to his Lordship, right? He's just Lord. And we come to this place of realizing that baptism is this declaration of new birth. It's this declaration that God's done something in me and he's done a work in me. John 3, verses 1 through 7. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. And I hope it'll be helpful. John 3, 1 through 7. One of the encounters you hear a lot when you're in church is Jesus bumping into this Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And, and this, this man, Nicodemus, in, in verse 3, this is how the, the scene unfolds with Jesus. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus said. Surely he cannot enter a a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Everybody said, ugh. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And then Jesus has this encounter with him. And the reality of it is, Jesus is telling this man, listen, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. How many of you have heard that statement before, right? You got to be born again, born again, born again, born again, Christians, born again, Christians. You see surveys all the time on Fox News, CNN, whatever, born again, Christians look like they'll vote this way. You know, and and we, we don't really have a lot of times a very um, good, uh, I guess, uh, thought that goes along with born again, Christians. And we ask people like, are you a born again Christian? Are you a born again Christian? But here's the thing I would tell you. There's no other kind of Christian, right? 
You're either born again or you're not a Christian. Because Jesus clearly says you must be born again. But what does it mean? What does that tell us? I mean, what is Jesus trying to teach Nicodemus? I would tell you this, that when we're physically born and we physically come alive, we're spiritually dead because we've been separated from the life giver by our sin and inherited sin nature and sin that we commit on our own. That even as we're first born, the Bible teaches us that we're spiritually dead. I believe this is what Nicodemus was wrestling with. It says he came to Jesus at night. Why? He didn't want people to know. He comes to Jesus. He's like, hey, man, I recognize there's some stuff going on with you. And I recognize you're doing some pretty awesome things. But I got to ask, like, what, what, what's all this? And Jesus is like, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Because see, here's the thing. Nicodemus was going through all of the right religious things. He was doing all of the right stuff. But he knew on the inside of him that something was still dead. You might have been there. You do all the right things, but something on the inside is still dead. And Jesus tells him, listen, Nicodemus, the reason you're still dead is one, you haven't been cleansed. You haven't been born again of water. You haven't been cleansed of your sins. And two, you haven't been given birth through the spirit. And this is what happens when we come to faith in Christ is that God begins to move in us and he goes inside of us and he does this incredible surgery on the inside that begins to give us new birth hey 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 somebody's awake that's awesome and so we we begin to have new birth we begin to realize that jesus has not only cleansed us but he's put his spirit inside of us and he's awakened our spirit from death he's literally resurrected something on the inside of us that was dead because of sin he's given us new life and jesus is trying to help nicodemus see this and understand nicodemus all of that religious stuff you're doing it's awesome and it's good but unless you're born of water and unless you're born of the spirit you're still dead And I wonder how many of us in here today have been born of the spirit, that the spirit has taken us from death to life. That's why we say that all the time. When somebody comes to salvation, it's not just that they checked a box. It's not just that they said a prayer. It's that God did a work in their heart. God did a work inside of them that takes them from death to life, that spiritually they are born. And that's what it is to be born again. It's just like when I would walk out of the delivery room and I would say, hey, he's born, he's here. New birth, Dake, Dake Jefferson, he's here, he's arrived. That's baptism. It's a declaration that something new has been born. New life on the inside of us. Here's the thing I would tell you though. This has to be your declaration. It's not somebody else's declaration that they can make for you. And it's not a declaration that you make so that it pleases someone else. It's not a declaration of something you would like to do. It is a declaration of something that God has done. Y'all tracking? Yeah, it's something that God has done and we're declaring, I have been born again. My spirit has been awakened by God's spirit. Number two. With new birth comes new life. So baptism is a declaration of a new life. It's a declaration of a new heart. 
New life comes from a new heart that comes from faith. That new birth brings a new heart on the inside of us. Listen to this in Ezekiel 36, 26. It's a prophecy of what Jesus would do and what the power of the Holy Spirit would do in our lives hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene. And it says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And then you flip over to the New Testament. Fast forward a few hundred years to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And you get into that. Okay, there it is. You get into that and it says, listen, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, 3. Paul tells the Corinthians, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of hearts, on human hearts, that God does something inside of us that will affect everything on the outside of us. Baptism is a declaration of what God's done inside, that he's given us a new heart. He's given us a new life. He's given us a new direction. He's given us a new joy and he's given us a new hope that we begin to live from and if you look at the Hebrew word for, for heart in Ezekiel 36, 26, it's actually a word that is pronounced live. <sighs> you had to say it at the end of a Hebrew word because it just sounds better. They spelled L-E-B. I don't know why they couldn't just call it leb, but it's pronounced live. And it actually means like the, the inner man, the mind, the will. In the New Testament, the word for heart is cardia. Uh, cardia. And it actually originally had just the meaning of the center of circulation. It was our true physical heart that, that pumped the blood, that circulated everything, the most important organ. But over time, it also began to be known for, the, for being the center of the controlling uh, or, or all of our life. It controlled everything. It was the thing that controlled all of life. It's why the Bible is true that all the issues of life, they spring forth from the heart because our heart controls everything. And this is what the Bible is telling us that the work of Jesus does is that God comes in and he goes to the very core, the very root of who we are, and he begins to change it and he pulls it up and he gives us a new one and he does a work that we can't do. That is our declaration in baptism that God has done something in us that we could not do for ourselves. Isn't that awesome that we get to go into some water and we come out and it's a declaration that I'm different. I know who you, you knew I was, but I'm new. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I wonder how many people in here have you experienced new birth? Has your spirit been made alive to Jesus? Have you experienced a new heart? Has your heart changed? See, here's the thing I know about having children too. And Susan and I, we had the baby. I'm going to tell you, like, for the first six months, I'm just going to be straight up honest. The best days of, like, having our son for the first couple of months was the two nights we spent in the hospital. Right? And you can be like, no, it's not that. So you're just a bad parent. Whatever. Whatever. Like, because we had to go home. And this is what I know. What was born on the inside changed everything on the outside, Right? everything like it doesn't matter from the moment that that birth takes place to the moment you go to be with Jesus your life is forever changed period forever changed and it's the same with coming to Christ it's the same as coming into a relationship with Jesus that our hearts are changed and we're never ever the same because God's done something at the very core of our being in our very heart and it changes everything when when you're 
born again, when the Spirit of God awakens you to life, when, when you have a child, man. Like we beg them people, like go home with us, really. Seriously, go home with us. I told my mom and my, my mother-in-law, I was like, I don't know which one of y'all's coming home, but one of y'all's coming home. Like, I don't know what to do with this thing. He just looks at me and he cries and he poops and I don't know what to do with him. It's like somebody's coming home with us. It changes everything. Our baptism is a declaration that we've been changed at our core, that God has done an incredible work in our heart and our lives. Number three, the next declaration, the new life brings new affections. We begin to love things differently. We begin to love different things. We begin to hate different things. God begins to change our affection. So number three, baptism is a declaration of our affections. So we have a new love. Like we, there's something new in my life. Think about it with a child. As soon as that child is born, you instantly have an affection for it. In fact, you can talk to a lot of grown men. They'll start talking about their child being born and they start tearing up. Like, I remember when he was born. <laughs> you know, they get all choked up. I mean, honestly, you start talking about your child and the immediate affection and, and you think about what they put you through. Yet you still love them. And you think about how affectionate you are towards them and how much you love them. And here's the reality of that. They begin to control your actions, don't they? And you can say, no, not, we, we raise our child. He knows, he understands. I'm like, whatever. He poops, you clean it up. <laughs> he gets hungry, you feed him. You see what I'm saying? They begin to control your actions. Why? Because you're affectionate for them. You love them. And when we come to new life in Christ, man, we begin to have an affection for God that didn't exist before Christ and before coming to faith. We were enemies of God. God was on this side. We were on this side. Yet Christ through the cross bridges the gap where we can be at peace with God. And this baptism is a declaration that I've come to peace. I've come to this place where I love God. I know him. I have affection for him. The bottom line I will tell you is that when something or someone has your affections, they will control your actions, period. You've been given a new heart that loves God, that loves him. You begin to love the things that he loves. You begin to love the people that he loves, which is everybody, hello? And we begin, that was an alarm, sorry. We begin to come to this place where We love those things that God loves. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 27. Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is right after Peter's confession of Christ. He says, then he said to them all, this is Jesus speaking to the ones that are closest to him. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone's ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. I want to give you three things under number three. I know this is bad preaching points and sub points, but I want you to get this. There's three things that happen and we see it in the scripture. When we come to be affectionate for God, God changes our hearts and we begin to love God. He becomes the love of our life that affects every other thing in our life. This is what I would tell you. The first one is that when someone has your affections, you will deny yourself for them. You just will. 
Go back to having a child. You deny yourself. The hardest thing about having a child was I had to give up parts of my life, right? Had a friend of mine, they had a child, weren't necessarily ready to have a child. And, and they had a child and, and man, he struggled. Like I, we, like, I'm talking about like taking his shoestrings kind of struggling, like not wanting to, you know, him to do something to himself kind of struggling. And, 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 and I remember talking to him one day and, and I told him, I said, man, listen, here's the reality. You got to put on your big boy pants. It's not about you anymore. You got to put on your big boy pants. And he looks at me and like with tears in his eyes, he goes, I know. And I see my big boy pants in the corner. And I just don't want to put them on. <laughs> Serious as he could be. And I was like, but man, listen, this life, it's no longer about you. And when we become affectionate for something, and there comes a point when we have to let go of, of us. We deny ourselves. Our affections will always lead us to deny ourselves for others. Number two, when someone has affections, you will go, go all in no matter what the cost. You just will. You will go all in. Jesus tells them, listen, take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. There will come a point in our lives when we are affectionate for God that we come to a place where we will go all in. He says, listen, Take up your cross, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, you're all in, you're dead like I am. And the only reason you have life is because you've been raised to life with me. Number three, when someone has your affections, you will follow their path. He says, come follow me. And you know, good and well, guys, when you were in high school or college or whenever it was, you had your first love. When they got your affections, you followed them everywhere, didn't you? It didn't matter. There are things you did with your girlfriend, with that first crush, that if it were to come out today, you would be absolutely embarrassed. Hello. Some of you guys in here right now have gotten pedicures (laughs) because you were chasing after a woman. And some of you guys got pedicures just for pedicures. We'll pray for you after (laughs) the service, right? You're like, well, I got to look good in my (laughs) flip-flops. Whatever. Have some man feet. They ugly anyway. You'll do anything, man. You'll follow them anywhere. You'll follow that path. You'll walk that path with them. You'll walk in their footsteps, man. If they stop, you'll run over them, right? And when God has our affections, it's the same thing. We'll follow him. We'll deny ourselves. We'll take up our cross. We'll follow him. My question would be, do you, has God got your affections? Back up just a little bit because I think there's something else important in this verse that we need to see when it comes to this. That God having our affection. The Bible says in verse 18 of Luke chapter 9, he says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he said? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to say anything to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. There's an important point that I think we need to see in this. At this point, Peter is still under the impression. He has no doubt, like he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He believes he's the anointed one to come. He believes he's a good man who who has come to rescue good people. But listen, that's where it stops for Peter. He still doesn't get it. When Jesus goes into these verses about that I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna 
die. I'm going to be handed over. Peter still doesn't get it. He just thinks Jesus is a good man who came for good people. And you see that Jesus den- or Peter denies Jesus three times after this event, after this declaration. And I believe it's because of this. I believe there had to come a point in Peter's life that could only happen after the resurrection and after the filling of the Holy Spirit that Peter realized that Jesus wasn't a good man who came to save good people, but he was a, the God man, the God man who came to raise dead people to life. And until Peter realized that he didn't just come to help good people. He came to give me life. That is when God got his affections. When the spirit of God sealed Peter as a child of God. And he knew that it was a deposit in his life that promised good things to come. Then Peter was willing to go and preach in front of 3000 people. He was willing to confront the murderers of Jesus and said, you killed the son of God. But not until Jesus gained his affections. And Jesus He realized that Jesus was coming and had come to bring life, not just to help good people. Number four. Baptism is a declaration of forgiveness and reconciliation. Baptism is a declaration of of forgiveness and reconciliation. I told you earlier that that one of the awesome things about Jesus is that before Christ, we were enemies with God. Our sin has separated us from God. Yet God, in his great mercy, in his great power, and through the cross has bridged the gap between us and him, bringing us reconciliation. I would tell you this, and this is probably another message for another time, but I do want to make this one quick point, that the power to forgive debt is always in the hands of the one who's owed. You hear that? The power to forgive debt is always in the hands of the one who's owed, right? Like if I could go to my mortgage company right now and be like, oh, by the way, you forgive my debt and do like a Jedi mind trick, I would. I can't do that. And here's the reality. The power to forgive our sin debt, it's always been in the hands of God. And if God were not merciful and if God were not good and if God were not loving, you and I would die in our sin as we deserve and spend eternity separated from God as we deserve. But thank God that we serve a God who is merciful, who is loving, who is kind, who is just, who is righteous and who paid for our sin on the cross so that we could be forgiving. The one who is owed forgave our debt through his son, Jesus Christ. And that is an incredible fact that we can never forget our forgiveness. Forgiveness comes only through Christ on a cross. I understand for some of you that that seems like foolishness, but I understand also that it is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who believe it is the power of God. And we get to live this life of forgiveness and reconciliation. Second Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 says this. This is Paul again speaking to the Corinthians. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Why? They're new creations. We don't judge them based on anything other than the fact they're in Christ. They're forgiven. They're new people. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So we see in verse 16 that there's a new birth. There's a new life. There's something different. We come to verse 17. We begin to see that our verse, the second part of verse 16, that they don't regard Christ anyway in that way anymore. Why? He has their affections. They realize that he wasn't just a good man who came to help good people. He was the God man who came to save sinners. And that's what God did for us. He sent his son. And then he goes, if therefore, if anyone is a new creation... Or therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Again, there's new birth. There's new life. 
means our past can't hold us back anymore. Our past can't hinder us. And gosh, if we could grab that, if I could grab that, we'd be different people. Because God has separated our sins so far from us. We can never catch back up to them. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. If you're here today, I would implore you. I would beseech you. I would beg you that if God is knocking on the door of your heart today to open your heart, receive the invitation that Jesus took the initiative to give you and allow him to speak into your heart through the power of his spirit to bring new birth, to bring new life, to bring a new affection. And then let us declare as the people of God, bringing glory to God, all that he's done. I would beg you to be reconciled to the Father through Christ. Verse 21, he tells us clearly how this happened. That God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Is that not insane? That God himself became sin. God himself punished himself so that we could be set free from sin and death. That we could be reconciled to God and made alive Again, it is a declaration. Baptism is a great declaration of forgiveness and reconciliation through Christ. I want you to understand this, though. Understand this. When we go to Splash in the Borough today, and I hope you'll go, I I hope we wouldn't be a church that would just flippantly blow off the fact that we're celebrating people going from death to life. So when we all leave, all seven, eight, nine hundred, however many are in here, and we go to Splash in the Bro and we eat a filet mignon hot dog, and we enjoy some fellowship, and, and, and we celebrate people going from death to life, I, I don't want you to stand there and look at the person being baptized and, and, and come to this thought that somehow the act of baptism is what saves them. I want you to understand... I don't save you. We had a guy in the church one time that I think he thought I was the Messiah. He like would tell people, Brandon saved me. I'm like, I didn't save you. I didn't die on a cross for you. He was like, I got a picture of you by my bed. I'm like, okay, it's going a little bit too far. <laughs> and, and, and I don't save you. The water doesn't save you. Faith in Christ saves you. That's what he says in 521. It is faith that, that we believe in the God man who had no sin but became sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God, a righteousness that is not earned, but it is freely given through faith in Christ. When you go under the baptismal waters, that doesn't save you. You're already saved. It's just a declaration to everyone around and to people who are there of what God's already done. But what a declaration that we get to share together. A declaration of forgiveness and reconciliation. Number five, it's a declaration of whose you are. It's a declaration of whose you are. It's it's basically coming to a new identity. It's when I would walk out of the delivery room and I'd say, hey, guess what? It's a boy, it's Dake Jefferson. What happened? It was a new identity. It was a, a new person. It was, man, he's my son. He's my son. And at that moment, I would have run through a wall for him. 
It had been a pretty weak wall, but I would have run through a wall for him. Why? Because he was my child. And I want you to understand that when you are baptized, when you go under the water and you are baptized, it's a declaration of whose you are. It's a declaration of who you belong to. It's coming to identity in Christ and realizing I'm not of this world anymore. I'm a new person with new desires. I'm going to live a new life. I'm going to follow a new path. I'm going to do different things. It's a recognition that God is my father. How awesome is that? And here's the thing I know. So many people in here, you had fathers who maybe they were absent. Maybe they were mean. Maybe they were tyrants. Maybe they were always looking over your shoulder, telling you weren't good enough. But here's the thing I can tell you. You have a perfect heavenly father who loves you dearly and who sees value in your life and who desires to use you. And he saw so much value in your life that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you. And the value is always based on what someone's worth. We're willing to pay for it. God paid a great price for you. You have a heavenly father that the Bible says has adopted us that before you were born, he chose you. Why? Because he wants you. Some of you have never been wanted before, but I would tell you today, God wants you for his pleasure to use for his glory. And just to know, as I know my children, just to love God wants you. Think about how many times Jesus used the word father just in the gospels, not counting how many times Paul or Peter or James or John or any of the others that said it in the Bible, just in the gospels in the entire old Testament, the statistic I found was that the old Testament, um, father was used 15 times, 15 times, basically used 15 times to describe God as our father, right? Not talking about like father Abraham, talking about God as our father right? You get to the New Testament, just in the gospels, the word father, as Jesus was teaching his disciples about who God is, is used 165 times. Do you think Jesus was trying to get something through our heads about who God is? He's a loving father. He's a good daddy that cares for his children and that desires to know us, desires to love us, desires to be in our life, one of the greatest problems we have is we think somehow we can lose him, his fathership. I don't even know that's a word. But we lose, we can somehow walk out of the family. Like, I can tell you, like, my kids, they're my children. They're mine. If you're in Christ, you've been born again by the Spirit of God. You're his, you're his child. Through the good and bad, the ups and downs, you're just His. That ought to be enough to bring some worship and some praise out of our lives that would glorify God. Don't you want to live for a God like that? It says they, they don't deserve it, but I want them. They've done nothing to deserve it, but I want them. I want to shower them with love. I want to shower them with grace. They made a mess of their life, but you know what? I want them because I know this. I can pull them out of sin. I can give them a new heart and I can use them for my glory. It's not too late. It is not too late for God to do an incredible work in your heart, an incredible work in your life. And my prayer is today, if he is knocking on the door of your heart, that you would open it. Some of you have been running from God as if you're running from a father that wants to beat you over the head and all he wants to do is restore you and put you back on the foundation that can, that can build you up and use you for his kingdom and his glory. Quit running and come back to a father that loves you. Last one, number six. Baptism is a declaration of future hope. Baptism is a declaration of 
a future hope. How many of you could use some hope in your life? How many of you are walking through some junk right now? How many of you would like to wake up in the morning and just the first thing that pops into your head is, man, I've got hope in Christ. I would tell you, make that a reality. If you've got to tie a ribbon around your finger, tie your feet together or something before you go to bed at night, so when you get out, you fall and you go, oh, I have hope in Christ. Whatever you got to do, you need to remember this. You need to build upon this. We talked about last week being rooted and built up in faith, in grace, in the power of Jesus. And my encouragement to you is look at the hope you have. Listen, when we go to Christ, Christ comes to us and he changes our heart. He gives us new life. We make this declaration of who he is and what he's done in our heart. We no longer live for temporary things. Aren't you glad of that? Temporary things, don't they kind of suck sometimes? Like temporary things, wouldn't you rather live for eternal things, for the glory of God? That's our reality. When we come to Christ, we no longer hope in things that are temporary. We aren't bound to time. We live for what is eternal and we live for God's eternal purposes. And we live from the security and the confidence of knowing I have eternal security in Christ. That's what we have. That's what God's done for us through Jesus. As Christians, we're... We're, we're a group of people that's kind of funny. Obviously, we're weird. But it's kind of funny because we're a people that is already and not yet, right? As Christians, we've already inherited the presence of God, yet not fully, right? In Christianity, we've been made new creatures in Christ, but they're still part of that old man that tries to hang on. But there's going to come a day when Jesus restores everything to the way that it is. This is our great hope, the way it was supposed to be. This is our great hope that we don't live for temporary things. I want to read one of my favorite scriptures to you, Revelation 21. I'll read verses 1 through 8. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, and the old order of things has passed away. He, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. It is done. It is finished. Jesus said it on the cross. It is finished. It is done. This hope is as sure as you sitting here today, sitting in your seat. This hope is sure. He said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. But outward, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Okay, verse eight isn't so good. But here's the reality for those who are in Christ. Verses one through seven, they're for us. We don't experience the second death. We don't experience that second death because we live with Christ. 
have a hope that's different. Baptism is a declaration of hope in Christ. That the things of this world don't hold us down. That the things of this world are temporary. But we have a great hope. It is sure. I'll tell you this. On Tuesday, I'm going to a little town where my family's from. And I'm going to do my aunt's funeral. She passed away Friday morning. And we're going to go and we're going to do that. And it's going to be tough. I buried three grandparents did their funerals I'm doing my aunts and the reality of it is it's hard but this is what I know about her she loved Jesus she was a born again Christian you saw it in her life the crazy thing about it is Tuesday is her birthday Tuesday is her birthday and we'll be burying her on her birthday my mom called me the other day and they had had a big birthday party planned for Saturday night. We had done cards and everything. They were gonna put them all up on the wall and she called me and she was obviously upset and she said, we had a change of plans. Your Aunt Joyce passed away this morning. And she was like, why couldn't she have just lived two more days? Why couldn't we have just celebrated her birthday? And I said, mom, you don't understand. She's going to have the best birthday she's ever had. Can you imagine the party that she is going to have on her birthday? Praise God that our hope is sure. Whatever we're facing in this world is temporary. And though we may endure these temporary afflictions, nothing compares to the glory of knowing that one day we'll be with Christ. Here's the great news of Jesus. Even though outwardly we may be perishing, inwardly we are renewed day by day by His Spirit. Baptism is a declaration of the great hope we have. Are you living in that hope today? Have you taken your eyes off of it? Or have you never known it? ask you, I would beg you, I would plead with you if you don't know him, be reconciled to God, if God is knocking on the door of your heart today make that declaration that I am coming to Christ because he came to me and I'm simply receiving the invitation he has given what an awesome, awesome God we serve who has overcome death, overcome the grave and overcome everything we face in this life. Praise God. Praise God. Here's a question I have for you. Some of you have been baptized, but as I went through that list, you realize like, I don't know him. Some of you were baptized because it was something that your family wanted you to do. Some of you are baptized because it was the age to do it. Some of you are baptized and you you don't even remember it. Some of you today, right now where you sit, you know, I don't know him, but I'm ready to let go and I'm ready just to surrender because his love is compelling me to come to know him. Today, I want to ask you, if that is you today, right where you sit, 
That's what I want to ask you to do. Will you be bold enough to stand up and say, I need the reality of Christ. You've never, never been saved before. Maybe you, maybe you signed a card or raised your hand or, or did something, but you know that God's never given me a new heart. He's knocking on the door of your heart today. If the hand of a holy God is pounding on your heart, would you stand up today and say, I need Jesus give me a new heart. I need a new life in Christ. I want to turn from my old life, my sin, and I want to come to him. Would you stand up? Would you be bold enough right now, right where you are, to stand to your feet and say, I need God. Just stand up right now, right now, right now. Just stand. Everybody's going to yell at you. We're going to love you. We're going to celebrate with you. Would you stand? Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Amen. Who else? Listen, your heart is beating 100. You know that God is knocking on the door of your heart and it's time to surrender it all. Are you ready? Are you willing to do that today? Today. This is what I want to ask. If those of you who stood up, would you let us pray with you? We just ask you to walk out these back doors, man. The heart, you took a hard step. And, and here's the deal. We get to walk through life with you. Salvation is not the end of a journey. It's the beginning of a new life. If you would just walk out the back doors, let us pray with you. We want to help you take your next steps. I would invite you to come to the baptism. Listen, I know a lot of you right now, today, you've never been baptized as a believer in Christ. Today, I would tell you, today is your day. And listen, here's the good thing about this. If you've never been baptized as a believer in Christ, you don't even have to pray about it. Your next step is baptism. How do I know? Jesus said so. You can argue with him, but don't argue with me because I'm telling you what he said. If you have not been baptized as a believer, we're about to leave and go to Splash in the Borough. You can follow somebody else. You can be back. We got clothes over there. We got everything you'll need. We're going to fill you full of hot dogs and make sure you'll sink good. And then we're going to dunk you under the water. But this is what I want to see. You're getting baptized today. I want to ask you, stand to your feet today. If you're getting baptized, maybe you didn't know, but this morning you were getting baptized, but right now you're getting baptized. Stand to your feet. Let's celebrate it. celebrate like crazy new life people going from death to life jesus we thank you for today and we thank you for the opportunity god we thank you that lord we have won the victory because you won it for us and you've given it to us lord i pray that your spirit would stir our affections for you that we would live for you god we would do everything that you've put in our hearts to do with boldness and courage god because we know that we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory, God. As we leave here, help us to grow deeper in you. Help us to know you, God, because I know when we grow deeper in you, it causes us to go out. Lord, I thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for wanting us, God. 
And with us this week, empower us to live a life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen.